Alright, good evening. Welcome back to our study entitled Make a Difference, Learning to Follow God Well. Here we are getting very near the end uh, of our study. We are looking, looking at a, a now rejected king named Saul. When he's older, he's just not following God well. That's, that is the, the mark of the last years of his life. He's not following God, uh, God well. And as a result, God is actively frustrating him. God's actively frustrating him time and time again. If you're new here or you're visiting or you've forgotten because you don't hang on every word that I say a week after week, and also you realize that I, uh, I was in Belfast last week and, I was, and Tim was teaching two weeks ago, uh, just to catch us all up, that God, at, by this point in our study, God has clearly told Saul that he, is, that he has been rejected as king and that God is raising up another. We know that he's going to be David. But, he, but Saul's been told through the prophet Samuel that, that his son, Jonathan, is not going to be king. Instead, another is going to be. There's no dynasty here. And, and so he's been told that. And yet, just so that we're all absolutely clear, Saul does not like God's plan. That, that's, that's at the heart of the, these last years of Saul's life. He does not like God's plan, and he is entirely unsubmissive to it. And for the rest of his life, Saul is going to be fighting against God's clearly declared will. God's will is that David will be the next king, but Saul's will is that his son, Jonathan, is going to be the next king. So what I want to do today is, is I want to quickly look at five stories. And you're like, Brian, can you even do that? Well, I want to quickly look at five stories uh, during these years where Saul is completely unsubmissive to God's will, fighting against God's will in favor for his own will. And as we look at these five stories, I want to note the difference between living an unsubmissive life, fighting God and God's plans, versus living a life submitted to God's plans and God's will. In each story, we're going to look at it from two points of view. We're going to look at it from Saul's point of view as someone fighting against God, and then we're going to look at it through David's point of view as someone who's submitted to God. Now, before, before we dive into this, David, David's life during these years is awful. It is awful what he's going through. Constant danger, losing his job, running for his life, nearly killed a few different times, betrayed by people. David, David's life in this era is, is awful. The message that I don't want you to hear today, the message I do not want you to hear today is you fight God and your life is bad. But if you do what God wants, then your life is all sunshines, rainbows, rainbows unicorns, and, and all, all, all good things. It's not true. It's not true. Saul is fighting God, but he's king. He still lives in his house. I, I keep calling it a palace, but it doesn't say it's a palace. In his house. He still has the servants. He still has the luxuries. He still has the power. David is submitted to God and is living in caves on the run, not having a wonderful time at different moments. So I want to I remind us of that. Also, I want to remind us about David and this whole, this whole thing that we're going to be talking about today is that everyone, everyone will experience moments when what we want, what I want, what you want is very different from what God wants. We're all going to experience these moments, and all of, these, all of us are going to become to a thousand of these, 10,000 of these moments, where, where we're going to call them submission moments, 
where God is going to test our hearts and ask us to follow him as opposed to what we really, really want. If you want to make a difference for God, if you want to follow God well all the days of your life, then learning to follow God well means trusting God and staying submitted to what God wants, even when it's very different from what we want. Okay, five stories, 10 quick observations. We've got this one. No problem. Story number one. So story number one in this era, Samuel 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I'll just kind of read the story and then I'll, and I'll talk about why uh, I'm, I've chose this as one of the five stories. It says this in 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And when it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. I'll give her to him, Saul thought, She'll be a trap for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, you can now be my son-in-law. Saul then ordered his servants, okay, speak to David in private and tell him, look, the king is pleased with you, and all his servants love you. Therefore, you should become the king's son-in-law. Saul's servants reported these words directly to David, but he replied, is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? I am a poor man who is common. The servants reported back to Saul. Uh, these are the words David spoke. This is how a lot of relationships start, right? You go tell him that he's really cute. And yeah. Okay, so then Saul replied, say this to David. Say this to David. The king desires no other bride price than except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take me from. That's not how it's done today, by the way. The, that, that's, this isn't the way, if you're wondering, uh, to take revenge on his enemies. Actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hand of the Philistines. I'm just going to say that again so we didn't miss it. Actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hands of the Philistines. When the servants reported these terms to David, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. Before the wedding day arrived, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins and presented them as a full payment to the king, trying to keep a straight face, uh, to become his son-in-law. Then Saul gave his daughter Michael to David as his wife. Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved him, and he became even more afraid of David as a result. As a result, David, uh, as a result Saul was David's enemy from then on. Okay, so again, a reminder of what we're talking about today. It's God's clear revealed will that, that David is going to be the next king, that, that Saul is not going to have a, have a dynasty. And instead of submitting to God's will, God's plans, Saul is actively fighting them. And in this first story, Saul is trying to destroy David, trying to trap him, trying to trap him, says verse 21, trying to, trying to uh, see him intending his death, said verse 25. But it backfires. But it, but it backfires. Not only did David not die, he was twice as, success, twice as successful as he, he needed to be. And to make it worse, his wife loved him. Michael uh, loved him. Now, we didn't, read this, uh, we didn't read this in this bit, but in the future, because of Michael's love for David, uh, she's going to actively help David get away from her own father, Saul. He's going to be trying to kill him, to murder him, and she's going to help him uh, escape. Number one, sometimes, a quick observation, sometimes 
when you fight against God's plans and purposes, you're going to be frustrated when your good plans backfire. That's what Saul's experiencing here. He's got this great plan to, to trap Saul, to see him die, uh, trap David, to see him be killed, and yet his good plans are backfiring. God is real. God is real, and he is able to frustrate you or pour his favor onto your life when you choose to fight against what God wants. Be prepared for a life filled with frustration. Now, I'm not saying that feeling frustrated means that God is uh, upset at you or against you at any given moment, but a common thing that God does do to people who are intentionally fighting against him, rejecting his rage, rejecting what he wants, is frustrating their good plans. The plans that should work. They should work. Now, David... David is one who has submitted to God's plans and, and, hit, and God's will, and so he gets to enjoy moments of God's favor along the way. Saul experiences frustration of his good plans backfiring. David is experiencing the favor of someone who's in, intended as harm becoming incredible help. Secondly, uh, when you're submitted to God's plans and purposes, the intended harm from others can become incredible help for you. The intended harm from others can become incredible help for you. Saul intended his daughter to be a trap, but she turned into an incredible help, literally a lifesaver. I think I just said that with all the spit in my mouth. I could at one time. Literally a lifesaver. God is masterful at, at turning things that were intended as harm into incredible help and goodness. That's story one. Story two. Story two in 1 Samuel chapter 23. In 1 Samuel 23, starting in verse 15, we read this. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horish where he, when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. That's, okay, again, he's, he's on the run for his life. Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horish and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel. This is an amazing thing for Jonathan to say. And I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterward, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. I think Jonathan is one of the most godly men in the Bible. He's one of the most godly people, especially in the Old Testament. This guy shows incredible faith. He shows incredible courage at different moments. He shows incredible godliness. And one of his most outstanding moments is this shocking attribute of total surrender to God to God's plans, to God's will, to God's purposes at, at, at great personal cost to himself, meaning Jonathan should have been the next king. By birth, uh, by birth, he should be the next king. He was the firstborn son of the king, trained as a godly man, proven go great warrior, proven uh, man of God. Not only, though, do we find Jonathan not fighting for his birthright, we find him fighting 
and going above and beyond to keep alive the person that is going to take his birthright. Just because he knows that's what God wants. We see him partnering with, encouraging the one who's going to take what by birth ought to have been his because he's submitted to God's will, submitted to what God wants. It's absolutely incredible. Jonathan's willingness to to prioritize at, at his own permanent cost and really the cost of potentially all his, his descendants. It, it, it's shocking, his willingness to follow God's will. Now, from Saul's perspective, it's also shocking, but in the horrible way, in, in, in the terrible way. The, he's, Saul's insanely frustrated uh, at this. There's one moment when, when Saul, in his wild frustration at his son— I know sometimes there's conflict between sons and dads and dads and sons. I I guess it's in the Bible. Uh, One time in in one of these conflicts, in chapter 20, verse 30, 30, it says, Then Saul became angry with Jonathan and shouted, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Which is, I mean, we, we all hear that, right? Don't I know that you're siding with Jesse's son to your own shame and to the disgrace of your mother? I try try to make it sound as harsh as it was. It was even harsher than that. Every day, Jesse's son... Oh, yeah, he's still yelling. Every day, Jesse's son lives on the earth. No, I gotta say that. Every day, Jesse's son lives on earth. You and your kingship are not secure. Now send for him and bring him to me. He deserves to die. Jonathan answered his father back, Why is he to be killed? What has he done? Then Saul threw his spear at Jonathan to kill him. Unhealthy home environment. So he knew that his father was determined to kill David. Sometimes, number three, Sometimes, number three, when you fight against God's plans and purposes, you're going to be frustrated when godly people are not supporting you. Now, that's a bit of an understatement, but you're going to be frustrated when godly people are not supporting you. In this case, his son, his son had every natural reason to be on Saul's side. It was for, for, for Jonathan's kingship. Every natural reason, and yet Jonathan's a godly man, and his number one heart is God's way, God's will, and he's submitted to that. And so he stood against his own father and his father's preferred future. And Jonathan is just incredible. And Saul is frustrated. He's frustrated at the point of throwing a spear to try and kill his own son. That's frustrated. So it's, it's messy. But David, on the other hand, is living with God's favor. And sure, the king wants to kill him and tries many times and it's, it's not all going well, but he still has God's favor. And so number four, sometimes when you're submitted to God's plans and purposes, God is able to turn naturally unsupportive people into mighty allies. Naturally unsupportive people into mighty allies. Example, Jonathan. Jonathan naturally ought to have been an enemy, but he becomes this incredible uh, ally. When you set your heart to follow God well, when, when, you, when you set your heart to walk in God's ways, he is able to bring you help and support from even the most surprising of places. He's able to turn natural adversaries into actual allies. When you think about rebelling against God, 
in, in your head, it seems like the better way. It seems like the happy way. It seems like the amazing way. But trust me, it is the frustrating way. It's the frustrating way as God continues to foil and frustrate the things that ought to have worked, that should have been great, that should have come together. It's the frust- so frustrating to live fighting against God throughout your life. And there's surprising joy. There's surprising peace in the surrendered life. God, not my will, but your, yours be done. It's the second story. King Saul, his, his blood pressure is way too high. The next story is in chapters 21 and 22. Chapter 21, um, we look at the beginning. This is how the story starts, and then I'll sum it up and, and skip to, to the end. Uh, David, it says, David went to uh, Ahimelech, the priest. David went to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David. So he said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I've ordered you to do. I've stationed my young men at a certain place. Now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. And so that's the starting of this story. Basically, they go back and forth for a little bit and David's given bread and he's given Goliath's sword. The, uh, he's given a sword. And, and so then he goes and, he, and David escapes. Basically, remember, he ran away. He ran away. This is the moment where his wife, Michael, helps him run away. He runs just with the clothes on his back. No weapon, no food. And the priests uh, give him stuff here. Well, Saul, the king, finds out that this has happened. And, and he calls in the priests. And, and he has this confrontation with them in chapter 22, starting in verse 13. 13, Saul asked him, Ahimelech, the, the, the priest, why did you and Jesse's son conspire against me? You gave him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so he could rise up against me and wait in ambush as is the case today. Ahimelech replied to the king, who among all your servants is as faithful as David? He is the king's son-in-law, the captain of your bodyguard, or at least he was until he was fired the day he ran away, the captain of your bodyguard, honored in your house. Was today the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Please don't let the king make an accusation against your servant or any of my father's household, for your servant didn't have any idea about all of this. But the king said, you will die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. And so Saul is losing it at this point. Suspicion, anger. He's fighting against the will of God. His frustrations have now become murder. Murdering innocent people. Fighting against the will of God. Fighting against the will of God will take you to darker and darker and darker places. Places you would never imagine that you could go. You set your heart to fight against what God wants for you. You're going to find yourself in, in a horrible places that you'd never dreamed. He, this, Saul ends up murdering not only the priest, but his whole family. Not only his family, all the men and women in the whole town. Not only that, he murders all the children, he murders all the infants, and he murders all the animals. One guy escapes. One guy escapes. Everything else is killed in that town. 
The sad fact is, when you fight against God's will for your own will, when you fight against God's will for your own will, you're actually joining with the enemy of God. When you're fighting, when you're fighting against God's will, you're joining with the enemy of God who becomes best friends with everyone, with everyone who wants to fight against God too. The enemy's job is fighting against the will of God. And when we do that, we're joining him. And, and, and when, we, when we do that, the more we live in line with the demonic priorities, the more we join with them in fighting against God's will, the darker and darker places they lead you. The, the point we're making here, it's on the screen, is number five. Sometimes when you fight against God's plans and purposes... You're going to be frustrated when innocent people feel like enemies. The more frustration, the more you're, you're fighting against God, and the less his love, his heart is there, and, and the more self-focused you, you, you become. And, and this, dark, this darkness just continues to grow, and so that when you look around, you just see enemies, enemies, and the frustrations go up. I was, I was on my way here from the south side, and all the stoplights this morning were enemies, they were evil. They, were, they had demon eyes. They were red, red eyes glowing at me. Every one of them, enemies. All of them. They're not my enemies. They're, they're not my enemies. Uh, sometimes you look around, and, and, and Saul at this point is looking around. He just sees enemies everywhere. Enemies everywhere. They're innocent. They're innocent. But sometimes in our frustrations and we're trying to fight against God and we're not submitting to God, his help, his will, his ways, we become consumed with anger over every situation that doesn't go our way or every person that does things even unintentionally that, that irritate us. The anger-filled life is usually the unsubmitted life to the will and plans and purposes of God. The anger-filled life is usually the unsubmitted life to the will, the plans, and purposes of God. Now, David, David, on the other hand, David is, is submitted to God's plans and purposes, and even though his life situation is horrible, he's on the run for his life. Again, no food. He just, just had the clothes on his back, no weapon. Instead of being angry, he's experiencing God's help through innocent people. Sometimes, number six, when you're submitted to God's plans and purposes, God is able to bring you help and assistance from anywhere in your time of need. You know, it's easy to look at your life. It's easy to look at life, and, and, and especially if things are going rough, and maybe it feels like things are falling apart. It's easy to look at our lives and see, like, I've got nothing. Everything's collapsing. In David's case, I just lost my job. I, my, I had to leave my wife behind. I'm on the run. I just have these clothes. I don't even have a weapon. I don't have any food. I, I am at the bottom. I'm on the run. I've got nothing. So it would be, it's easy when we look at our life in, in a moment of it falling apart and in crisis and in situation and think, God must not care about me. God must not care about me. Listen, the challenges of today do not determine the concern of God for you. Whatever challenges and crisis and, and stresses you're under, that is not 
what reveals whether God is caring about you or paying attention to you. Don't look at the crisis or the life crumbling. Look for God's provision. Where is God providing for you? Okay, David, everything's fine. Part you lost your job, everything like that. You were given bread by these people. You're on the run. You've just got the clothes on your back. You were given a sword. God provided for you. When, when you're feeling like, where is God? Don't look at the life collapsing or improving or getting worse. Look for the provision. Here's what I know about you. You're still here. All you have ever needed, God has provided. You're still here. He's saved you. He's rescued you. He's provided for you. Now, the road may have been rough. It may have been horrible. It may, I have no idea. And it would be easy to look at the road and think, where was God? Look through the eyes of provision. Somehow, in some way, probably through a thousand different ways, God has provided for you. And you're still here. All you've needed, he's provided. The next story, the fourth story, is uh, one where David is betrayed. He's betrayed by his own, own clan. It's brutal. The results of this betrayal just about completely end him. And, and again, it's his own tribe. Uh, for David, it's not smooth sailing. His tribe is the one people that's supposed to be on his side. And, and yet this betrayal leads to David literally running as fast as he can for his life, and it's not fast enough. Saul and his army are right behind him. David is about to come to his end. At least that's how it looks. Hope is about out. And we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 26. Saul was there. Saul went along one side of the mountain and David and his men went on the other side. Now, in, in Israel, when, you're, when you think of the word mountain, just put it in air quotes. We're humoring them. It's a mountain. Sure, sure, it's a a mountain that nice nice hill mountain of Dowen hill or <laughs> mount partick yeah okay great so they were running on one side of the mountain and and uh, running on the other mount hillhead uh even though david was hurrying to get away from saul saul and his men were closing in on david and his men to capture them then a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly because the Philistines have raided the land. So Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to engage the Philistines. Therefore, that, that place was named the Rock of Separation. Sometimes, seven, number seven, when you fight against God's plans and purposes, you're going to be frustrated when sudden crisis interferes with the completion of your goals. Saul has almost reached his, the, end, the, the end of his multi-year obsession. For years he's been hunting this guy. He's worked so hard to get to this moment. David's right there. He's closing in. David's not going to be able to get away this time. He, he's, he's gaining on him. There, he's just right on the other side of the hill, the mountain. He's right on the other side of the hill. And then out of nowhere, there's this crisis. Now, for us, a crisis could be anything, a health crisis, family crisis, work crisis, any kind of crisis. 
just anything that all of the sudden keeps us from our goals, specifically the goals that are in conflict with God's goals, with God's will. The crises that are, that are interrupt, where they interrupt our goals, our timing, our plans, our ambitions, but not God's. Crisis happens to everyone. Everyone experiences it, every family, but sometimes God divinely uses the timings of a crisis to keep someone from accomplishing goals that God is not, either he doesn't want it to happen or he doesn't want it to happen now. How frustrating it can be to fight against God. How frustrating. I mean, Saul's life is full of frustration. Can you imagine Saul's there and he's, and he's just about to get his enemy. He's just about to get David. He's just, just closing in and then the messenger comes and says, the, the Philistines are invading and he's, and he's like, ah, 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 ah. And he becomes the Hulk or something like that. Just like, just, oh, such a frustrating moment. So close. I'm sure some of you experience those moments where you're just so close and then something happens. Frustrating. David, on the other hand, he's running, but he's not getting away this time. He's running and he can't see how he's going to get out of this one. But then Saul has this surprise crisis and he just breaks off and, and David, David's saved. Sometimes, number eight, sometimes when you're submitted to God's plans and purposes, God is able to rescue you by redirecting any danger or threat. Sometimes, uh, sometimes when you're submitted to God's plans and purposes, God is able to rescue you by redirecting any danger or threat. Again, this is another example of why to never give up hoping in God. With David's eyes, it looks like he is doomed. It looks like the promises of God for him and for his future will not be fulfilled. But this is a reminder that at any moment, God can use any unexpected event to rescue you. Whatever your crisis, whatever your worry, whatever your fear, whatever your danger, whatever's bearing down on you, God has probably got 10,000 ways that he can rescue you from that. And you can't think of any. You're just thinking, I can't run fast enough, like David. Feeling like you're at the end is vastly different than being at the end. Some of you feel like you might be at the end, but you're not. Keep trusting God that you're following. He's the master of last second saves or, you know, just after the last second, but it's still enough saves. Okay, that's story number four. Story number five, the last story. The one I want to mention, uh, it's Saul is hunting David again. And he goes, and Saul goes into a cave in order to relieve himself, uh, relieve himself, says the Bible. Uh, David is there, and David has a chance to end his life. Okay, so picking up in 1 Samuel 24, verse 3, just kind of reading just a few verses here. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the back of the cave. So they said to him, look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. The corner of the robe, that's where the tassels would be. That makes Saul a lawbreaker because he won't have the tassel on his robe. Afterwards, David conscious 
bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, I swear before the Lord I, will, I would never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. Then Saul left the cave and went on his way. Okay, so then after this moment, then David comes out. David comes out and, and, and he follows him and he lets Saul know that, Saul, I could have killed you. Look at your robe. I cut that off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 I spared your life. I spared your life. Now, there's another story where David could have done this as well, a little bit different context, but where he saves uh, Saul's life. From Saul's perspective, as someone unsubmissive to God and actively fighting against God's will, sometimes, number nine, Sometimes when you fight against God's plans and purposes, you're going to be frustrated when God gives others the opportunities you have wanted and worked for. I mean, how many years has Saul longed for that opportunity where David's there, David's in the cave, and all his men are there, and, and he can do whatever he wants to, to David. I mean, so much effort has gone into hunting David time after time after time. But David has been given this opportunity that Saul's always wanted. So frustrating. Now, from David's perspective, as someone really wanting to submit to the will of God, sometimes number 10, when you're submitted to God's plans and purposes, God's able to keep testing to see if you will continue to be committed to God's will and trusting his timings. This is a testing moment for David. David, are you going to rush my timings or are you going to trust my timings? You have that opportunity to do what you want in this moment, but I'm saying trust me. And David chooses to trust the timings of God for his kingship. God said that he's going to be king. He's going to wait for God to make him king. He's not going to do something evil to make that happen. But this testing is at the heart of it. You can listen to this message and you can be like, okay, maybe am I a Saul or am I a David? That's, that's the wrong question to ask. Am I a Saul or am I a David? Saul used to be like David. But then he chose at one point in his life and then another point in his life to follow his way instead of God. A slight bit different, a slight bit different, and then fully running differently. David had so many opportunities throughout his life, including this moment here that we just read, to become a Saul. And, and that's how life is for us. Following God well is a lifetime work. It's the same when you're six, when you're 16, when you're 26, when you're 36, when you're 46, when you're 56, when you're 76, when you're 96, when you're 406 or so. You're going to have 10,000 opportunities in your life to, to either choose your will or your way or God's will. And it's so challenging to keep your heart posture before God being, God, I want this. But what I really want is what you want. That is such a difficult heart posture to say. And you might hit it from time to time, but that's the one we're called to live in. God, this is what I want, but what I really want is what you want. The day is going to come where David is going to choose the way of Saul. And he's going to have this guy murdered, Uriah. 
He's going to uh, commit adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And I, and I suppose what I want to say is nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. The day is going to come where you're going to feel this war inside you. Where you're going to feel, you're going to feel this hard war. I want what I want. I want what I want. I want what I want. I don't want what God wants. I want what I want. I don't want what God wants. God's, I, I, I don't like that plan. I don't like that. I don't want, I want what I want. And again, I implore us all to keep choosing God's will, to not fight against God's will, but also probably there's a chance that one time or more in your life you'll make the wrong choice. And you'll be like, this is what I want, and you'll have chosen not what God wants. David does this. And when you find yourself waking up one day and you're like, I have chosen my own way, and maybe today's your wake-up moment. I've chosen my own way. I've rejected God's way. I rejected it in how I lived. I rejected it in this decision. I rejected it in this thing, that, that this, this life choice or whatever. But I'm waking up. What does David do? He repents. He does what Saul doesn't do. He humbles himself before God, and he recommits to getting back on, on God's track. Some of you have been following uh, following your way and fighting against God's, ignoring what God wants for you. If you want to make a difference, learn to follow God well by returning to God. Learn to follow God well by turning back to God, resubmitting your life to God's plans and purposes. Again, we've talked a lot about frustrations. We're talking about frustration and things not working out well for Saul. Or maybe, maybe you look at your own heart and you're like, there's a lot of things that frustrate me. Or I, can, I identify some frustrations in my life. Um, if you find yourself frustrated, I'm not saying all frustrations are fighting against God related. But if you find frustrations in your heart, it's a great opportunity for some soul searching. Frustrations are a great opportunity for soul searching. God... Are my frustrations connected to being unsubmissive to your will? What a prayer. God, are my frustrations connected to being unsubmissive to your will? For me, it's impatience. Impatience, impatience is a, a symptom that, that causes so much frustration in, in my life. It's a symptom of my heart being unsubmissive to God's will, specifically when it comes to timing. What do I do? I can pray. God, intervene. Intervene now. Intervene immediately. Intervene in this moment. Intervene in this second. Intervene right now. And I can pray that way. But if he doesn't, I need to, if I've done my praying, I need to keep my heart submissive to his timings instead of full of frustration and anger and, and upsetness. There's so many ways we battle. We battle with submission to God. And, have in, and most of the battles are fought in the secret places in our hearts. Our frustrations can help us find where there's unsubmission issues between us and God. It can be helpful, soul searching. So that's why the first question of the challenges is this. What is frustrating you? What is frustrating you? Challenge number one. Is unsubmissiveness to God hiding there? Why and how? What is frustrating you? 
I, I added that question uh, after asking it myself and discovering this whole um, impatience thing. So be warned. Be warned. Uh, the second challenge is this. In the last three months, what is a moment I chose God's way when I wanted to choose my different way? Is there any wins that you can identify in your life? Yeah, I, I've had a few moments where I did what God wanted in this situation, in this relationship, in this environment, in this, in this choice. In the last three months, it, what is a moment I chose my way and knowingly rejected God's way? Can you identify some, some missteps? Things to repent about, to humble ourselves before God about. Number four, what changes would I need to make to shift my life to be fully focused on God's way for me? I hope those questions are helpful for you. They were, they were helpful for me. It's difficult, it's difficult to say in this heart posture, but it's, it's the way to live. It's the way to live following God well. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. They're going to lead us.